Welcome to the Day 2 Podcast. Today's episode, the mindset required for building a seven or eight figure brand on Amazon. There's a reason that a small percentage of sellers account for the largest percentage of sales on Amazon. Many of our podcast episodes focus on strategy and tactics, but in this episode, we're going to be talking about how those big sellers got there and the thinking required to go from being an early stage brand owner to a top Amazon seller. Welcome to the Day 2 Podcast, where we give you the unfiltered truth to launch, grow, and protect your brand on Amazon and beyond. I'm Jason Boyce, founder and CEO of Avenue 7 Media, host of the Day 2 Podcast. With me today is my partner in crime, Shannon Roddy, Amazon strategist, educator, biz dev lead for Avenue 7 Media. Shannon, how's the summer treating you? Yeah, you know, it's good. Georgia, like everywhere, is hot and humid. Uh, yesterday it said, I think it was like 92, feels like 99. And you're like, yes, that's okay. Yeah, you know, I'm in Portland, Oregon, right? It's 104 <laughs> degrees today. 104 yeah, in Portland. Dry heat. So, dry heat. Like, that's like Texas complaining that's 114, whatever. <laughs> you know, people are walking around like it's end of times here in Portland, Shannon. You have no sympathy for them, but I get it. It's hot and Hot Lana. They don't call it Hot Lana for nothing. They don't. They don't. And, you know, I mean, in terms of uh, heat, uh, I know that uh, our, our thoughts and prayers are with those uh, in, in Maui and Hawaii that are undergoing some just catastrophic uh, challenges with the fires that have blazed through there. And uh, really praying for rain um, is, is the request that I've heard from the people that I know and I've talked to on the island. So if you're listening to this, thoughts and prayers, send send rain to, to Maui and the Hawaii Islands. Uh, they need a lot of support right now. Thoughts and prayers as well. Jason, as hot as it is everywhere, I am excited to go to Amazon Accelerate in Seattle next month. Uh, we're bringing a team this time. Yeah. And i um, super excited to meet with our reps from the Service Provider Network. They've got a really cool happy hour put together to meet with their team and go over some of the new things they're rolling out. I just felt like there were so many great things we learned last year, so many great networking opportunities to meet so many of the incredible employees and team members at Amazon, as well as the sellers and brand owners, just part of that amazing community. I thought they did a great job and I can't wait to go back this year. I agree, Shannon. You know, there's so much uh, hyperbole um, in our space. There's a lot of guessing that happens. What I love about Accelerate is it's a chance to hear from the horse's mouth directly, from Amazon people who are building these programs, from them directly on what their vision is for these programs. And, and it gives, you know, the seller community an opportunity to 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 prepare and to consider which of these programs might be best for them. So I, I agree. And at any time we can all get our team together, we, you know, we have a pretty heavy work from home model. So whenever we can get together, IRL is is always a good time, Shannon. So I'm looking forward to it as well. Well, Jason, I'm excited for today's episode. Number one, because we're talking about mindset required. It's you know, it's amazing. There's like you said, so much about tactic and strategy. But the thing that I think that a lot of sellers run up against, the brick wall, they're not these external forces and factors. It's actually internal things, internal roadblocks that are pre preventing them from taking their brand to the next level. And so I'm excited to interview you really as a former top 200 Amazon seller for many, many, many years. 
and understanding what it takes because it's not just about those physical resources. It's not just about what you have at your disposal. It's how you think about things. Not only how you think about Amazon as a platform, it's how you think about running a business, how you think about building a brand, how you do product development. All of those things actually start with mindset. So the first question that I want to tee off with is, I think a lot of sellers and people believe that the biggest sellers are big because of external factors, right? Those sort of external things like budget, sprawling product line. But in your mind, how much of success depends on internal factors like mindset over the external resources that a brand or seller may have access to? That's a big question, Shannon. It's a really good question. There's differing degrees of of sure. answer to your question, right? So is it easier for a brand to first start on Amazon or even gain control of the channel if that brand has spent hundreds of millions of dollars over the last 30 years and is a household brand name? Absolutely. Yes. It's be it's easier if you come to the table with a heavy dose of what we call in the marketing world brand awareness, right? You, people have to know who you are and more recently what you're about or have some level of familiarity with you or your brand in order to add to cart, right? That being said, how many times, Shannon, do we talk to huge brands where they come to us and they say, who in the hell is this brand that is kicking my butt on Amazon that I've not only have I never heard of it, none of my None of my colleagues who are competitors have ever heard of this brand. Where do these guys come from? And so, and most of the time, you know, it's a simple answer. Well, yeah, of course they're kicking your butt on Amazon because they know the game. They know that this channel is different. They know that this isn't just another sales channel where you hire a sales rep that goes out and gets a purchase order. You, you send the, the product and then you're done. No, no, no. This is an ecosystem. Amazon is different. It is very big. It has some of the fiercest product competition the world has ever seen. It has certain rules and fundamental AI systems that that prop up the 2 billion products that surface the best-selling 2, maybe not 2 billion, the best-selling million products or so in a way that is just hard to comprehend. And it's difficult to differentiate this channel from a lot of the others, Shannon. The other mindset is really not so much an Amazon thing. It's a 21st century thing. No matter how many marketing dollars you throw at this thing, hundreds of millions or whatever, if it's a bad product that's not providing real solutions or benefits to the end user who pays and whips out their credit card or throws cash on the table, if it's no good, it doesn't matter what games and tricks and hacks and you know money you throw at the thing, it all starts with the great product. With the nice thing about Amazon, and I did this, Shannon, I built a big brand this way. I didn't start with the best product, but by God, after 18 months, I had the best product. I had the best product in the category. And we'll talk more about that later. But there's this mindset. It's not the agency. It's not the marketing firm. It's not your internal team. You have to have a great product. Or if you don't have a great product, you better open your ears and listen to what the shoppers are saying and be willing to change it. And then secondly... You must think of Amazon distinctly and separately from any other sales channel. The closest thing I can think of, Shannon, that's close to Amazon would be, you know, the DRTV, you know, television ad business. You know, that that, that that's the closest thing 
to Amazon that I can think of. It's not Target, Walmart, maybe not necessarily Walmart. It's not e-commerce. It's not brick and mortar. My God, if you think about this business like you would um, a brick and mortar store, you will absolutely fail. You got to get your mind right, right, Shannon? That's what you got to do first. And you got to recognize, you got to recognize that this is very different and requires a different set of thinking and capabilities. Yeah. I mean, I think in, in the regards to resources, you talked to some of those Amazon aggregators a few years ago, they touted having more resources, you know, just unlimited funds. And they said, we've got the best everything. We can do this better. And that wasn't necessarily the case for a lot of them, not yeah. only for the aggregators themselves, but for the brands that they had acquired and managed. Uh, it's not simply a mat matter of resources. It is a matter of mindset first. And I think in many ways, you could see smaller, scrappy startups and sellers outperforming some of the brands backed by these aggregators because they had a better mentality. Yeah. I mean, you can hire the smartest person on the planet, but if they don't have any experience selling on the platform like you and I do, it's going to be a very painful, lonely path to get to knowledge, right? You, you, you got to understand this is very different. And you know, here's another thing about Amazon. You know, Liz LaValle said it to me in an internal meeting the other day, and I just loved it. Because I often forget this when we talk to clients, especially those clients who are not meeting key dependencies necessary on their end in order to perform and do well. She said, you know, it's, it just seems like some of these clients are really smart people, but they, 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 they fail to understand that in many ways, Amazon is ass backwards. <laughs> Things that might be intuitive to someone on another sales channel, channel are completely counterintuitive on this sales channel. And so, Shannon, I, I thought it was a really good reminder and I love Liz for bringing that up because I have been doing this for so many years, you know, pushing on 22 years now that I often forget. And I sometimes go to frustrated when folks don't get the mindset, but it's a really good point. Folks have to understand sometimes folks who are in the know will ask you to do something on Amazon that you may be like, you may say, what, what do I have to do? That makes no sense. But it, but for folks that have been in the Amazon game, they, they obviously, they'll know. To a person, yeah, this is how you do it because this is the way this platform was developed and this is the way that it is. You know, it's the simple mindset of, well, this keyword is expensive, so I want to increase my profitability, so I'm going to bid down on it. That's intuitive. And what happens? Your profitability takes <laughs> very counterintuitive. Let's go to the second, the second question, and this is so critical and it's probably... I think in this episode, we're going to address two or the three of the biggest mindset challenges that I feel like a lot of brands and sellers have, including some of our clients that we have to navigate through these conversations. But what is the mindset that sellers and brand owners need to have when it comes to selling exclusivity or what we call channel control? This is a big one. Ooh, channel control pioneered by our friends, you know, Whitney Gibson and Voorhees and of course, James Thompson. This is a 21st century product brand problem, channel control. This problem is so big that it transcends Amazon. It just happens to land on Amazon's doorstep because they have more than half of the online market share in most markets that they're in, right? So they have this massive share. And so why is channel control important? Every brand wants to put their brand in the best possible light and maintain a retail price point across channels. The digital world, the 21st century makes it super hard to do that. Amazon doubles down on hard 
by allowing anybody to attach to your listing on Amazon. You know, you may be a well-meaning brand. You got a good brand. You, you know you, what your retail price should be. You want to list that sucker on Amazon and you think you're in the clear. And then all of a sudden, if you have a channel control problem where one of your other customers has inventory going out the back door or forget going out the back door, just going out the front door to their own Amazon seller account, you can lose pricing integrity, brand integrity, and you lose control of the narrative that you want to tell about your product so that you can do things like price high and justify. Amazon allows any Tom, Dick, or Harry to attach to your listing and start gutting all of those things that you've worked so hard to do. And so the right mindset, not just on Amazon, but on every sales channel, is you should be the only seller of your brand. There is absolutely 0.00% value in you, a brand who's worked so hard to create a great product and a brand, allowing somebody else to sell your product on Amazon. And you should not allow anyone in this digital age to sell your product anywhere else if they're not doing a good job, if they're not maintaining price integrity, Matt, if they're not delivering and showing and putting your product in the best possible light, there's no value to you. Zero, zero value. And if they're not doing that, don't sell to them and shut them down. Because in this world, you can have a billion dollar brand with one customer base direct to consumer. That's what's at stake here. And so that is a really hard one for folks to get, especially folks who maybe were a wholesale brand. They came up in the distributor model and they made a lot of money from distributors. But let me tell you, we talk to distributors every day, Shannon. And you know what the distributors are doing? They're building their own private label brand. Because they know <laughs> yeah, that they know. they're going to direct to consumer. Now, I'll tell you another story. I was reading an article in the Oregonian here in Portland. And what a great thriving entrepreneurial community here. Even Oregon State University has this program to help uh, Portlanders and Oregonians develop new, exciting, healthy type of food products. And a lot of these guys are going out of business. You know the ones that aren't going out of business? The ones that are going out of business are the ones that sold to the big behemoth food distributors. And they've had their price cut in half and they've been strong-armed and you know they're being threatened to not be able to gain shelf space anymore unless they hand over lots of money. But the folks that have a direct-to-consumer model sell to their own website, sell to their own sort of retail location here in Oregon or otherwise, and have the brick-and-mortar strategy, those are the ones that are thriving. Because you learn that, you learn that to have that relationship with the customer that matters, the person with the credit card, and you have some higher margin uh, safety diversification where you're not dependent on these folks with big strong arms that are going to use them. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few exceptions for sure, but I think it's a great example of the counterintuitiveness of Amazon and the digital age, where it used to be small sellers want to get to the point where they can be a big seller so that they can get a distributor. And now it's the brands are big enough to the point where they have the guts to leave their distributor and tell them where to get off and go build out that D2C Channel. And I can tell you, there's there's a handful of clients we are having that conversation with, and we're running the numbers and we're showing them the market reports and saying, look at the value of selling to a wholesaler who is largely just turning around and selling your product in, on Amazon and doing a poor job of it. 
They are not adding value. And here's what's possible. Here's the market potential that's possible if you take this thing D to C. So 100% agree. And um, you know, if that is a challenge for you, feel free to give us a call and we will walk you through this process because that is a mindset shift that is preventing you from growing and protecting your brand on Amazon and online anywhere. At the risk of going off topic a little bit, Shannon, I want to tell another story. I had the great pleasure of having several meetings with someone named Isaac Larian, the CEO and founder of MGA Entertainment. You know Isaac as the Bratz Dolls founder and then the LOL Surprise toy maker, right? Just massive success. Um, even took Mattel to court for 10 years and won at the end of the day. Um, brilliant entrepreneur, product developer. And I remember when I wanted to go and take my brand that I was developing on Amazon to Walmart stores. We did. We sold to them. I never want to do that again, by the way. But we did. And I was asking Isaac advice on how to deal with, with, with Walmart. And you know what he told me? I didn't listen to him. He said, don't sell the Walmart. You got to go build your brand first. And I'll tell you a story. He goes, Walmart knows where my factories are. They go to my factory and they find out what my cost to produce a Brat doll is. Brat's doll with a Z. And they come to me and they say, you know, you're charging me, you know, $5. I know your cost is, you know, $3. Charge me $4. And you know what Isaac said? This is the power of brand in one or two sentences. Isaac said, you're wrong, Walmart. I'm not paying $3. I'm paying $2.50. But if you want the brand, you'll pay me five. You can't go hat in hand to the big brand, big box retailers without first building that DTC brand, fine-tuning those learnings and, and making those end-user customers happy and then building the brand. Do not go to those big brands unless you have built the brand first. Then otherwise you have no you have no hand to play whatsoever and you're completely at their mercy. And they'll ruin you like a lot of these great food companies here in Oregon have started and in, 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 in failed at. Yeah. It's something, you know, when I when my wife and I lived in Tanzania, I would do training with these guys, um, friends that I had met who were trying to start their own business. And I said, look. It's all about audience. If you control the audience, you control the conversation. And so if you've got, if you have all the customers following you on social, following you on your email list, uh, you know, going to your website, searching for your brand, it gives you control of that conversation. So I, I want to switch a little bit to listings, right? A lot of people just think of a product listing as sort of a, a placeholder for content, right? But on Amazon, it's so much more. You actually talk about internally those listings as assets. How do big sellers think about listings compared to maybe some of these emerging brand owners and smaller sellers who are trying to figure it out? Oh yeah, that, that, that's a great question. We used to joke, right? We would put the listing once it's ranked, once the listing, regardless of what product is there, it has tremendous power. And I used to joke that it should go on the balance sheet as an asset. Because once you get that product ranked, you have to, like any good asset, you need capital up front to invest in it. And the big sellers play this game masterfully. They'll spend whatever money is necessary to take that product. They'll refine that product over time, but then they'll also put whatever money is necessary to get that ranking organically so that then they can begin this gradual increase of price and take back some of their investment and make it over time. That's very unusual, by the way. That's a, not a mindset that works just about any other and any other sales channel. It goes back to this 
Amazon is back ass words or ass backwards, however you want to say it. The way that big brands look at listings, it defies the laws of economics, which state if you raise the price of the good or service that you're selling, you will see a decrease in demand. But Amazon's flywheel, that ranking algorithm is so powerful that once you go from nowhere to 5,000 to 500 to 100 to top 10 rank, top three, you can actually raise your price. The ranking algorithm will continue to sustain that rank and you will make more profit dollars. It's, it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my 22 years of being in e-commerce, Shannon. And um, it's really hard for brands to wrap their brain around that. Really, really hard. We've got a client right now. They were having some issues looking at profitability. They increased their prices. They're up 32%. And you know, I want to make a clarification here, Jason. I don't want people to think, oh, I'm sort of saying, you know, touting the big brands and big sellers as sort of the winners and and smaller sellers as sort of the underdog. Because when I, when I refer to that, it's really about, it, it's less about size because there are big brands off Amazon who are not playing the Amazon game at all and barely oh, yeah. eking it out. It's more about brands and sellers who have, have either adopted the Amazon mindset or not, right? Regardless of size. And, and sometimes the bigger the brand off at Amazon, the smaller the mindset they have for Amazon because they simply don't get it. Like you said, it's completely counterintuitive. It's completely backward. Any other any other tips in terms of that process for you you set up your listing? It's just like an end cap display. You set it up, you set it in, forget it, and walk away. Why is Amazon different? Why is the mindset and how sellers think about Amazon different when it comes to that listing over time? Yeah, you know, look, that rank well, first of all, it's the most competitive marketplace the world has ever seen. There's competitors coming at you with shark teeth 24-7, literally 24-7. 365. So you can never, ever, ever rest on your laurels. And the listing is no exception. You know, the listing is never a set it and forget it. This is not field of dreams. If you build it, they will come, which is what a lot of product makers want to do. They're like, ah, I don't want to deal with this marketing and the selling of the thing. And uh, I just want to make it. I want to put it on a shelf and the customers will love it because I love it. No, that's not the game here on Amazon. And the listing, you have to constantly optimize those listings for, first you lay that solid foundation. You have to constantly optimize, tweak the things that affect click-through rate and ad spend and, and clicks, You know the main image, the, the product title, the, the whatever discount your pricing is. You got to drive to higher and better ratings and reviews all the time to improve that click-through rate. And then you also have to focus on that conversion rate. And so you got to maximize all that space that Amazon gives you now above the fold, below the fold, A plus brand story everywhere. And you got to focus, you know, you got to focus not just on the features, you really got to lead with the benefits and tell a great unified story. Convince that shopper with the credit card, here's where you need to add to cart, right? And that continually improves because it's a two-way street. You're constantly getting input and feedback about your product and reviews and ratings. You're getting feedback about the seller experience. You're getting questions in the Q&A. You got to pull all of those bits of data together and there's gold in there. You got to gold pan it, right? You got to throw the rocks out and find the gold and then institute that in your product design and also on your listing. And that's where this can get really powerful. Anyone who sets in and forget it, and you may have some really good success in the beginning, but your lunch will be eaten by the next bully coming out of nowhere 
They may not even be a bully. They may be so small you've never heard of them, which is that story that we hear all the time, but they're doing the things that you should be doing, right? And that's why they're coming out of nowhere with 1,500% year-over-year growth, 300% year-over-year growth, and you're batting yourself in the back because you've had 10. Nope. Yeah. Try to re-engage. Try to re-list, re-optimize, right? Great point. As a side note, my wife and I actually visited Field of Dreams last summer, and if you ever get the opportunity, it was the most beautiful experience. It was such a cool place. My wife punched me in the arm when she realized I had not actually seen the movie. <laughs> so we're going, I watched it. I watched it afterwards, but it was like, it was this beautiful afternoon, four o'clock sunny, and they have balls, like they have baseballs and bats and gloves. And you could actually go out and you, you play ball on the field of dreams. So uh side note as a fun experience, as you alluded to, uh, to Kevin Costner's uh, hit. So I want to talk about the next phase really in the process, you've got this great list and you talk about this relentless optimization. Now we get into where the traffic for that listing comes from, where it was specifically advertising. Here's another one that really drives people crazy. It's on Google and on Amazon. But if you have a big brand and you have any kind of brand awareness at all, people are likely searching for your brand on Amazon. You can find this out by just entering your brand name in the search bar. And if there's a drop down that pops up, it shows several keywords that are indexed for your brand. You know, people are looking. It may not be a massive audience, but it may be an audience enough to get going. What that means is you've developed brand awareness for your brand. And if you're not there first defending your brand by paying for your branded keywords, yes, it sucks. No, if your brand registered, you shouldn't have to pay and defend your keywords, but that's the game right now. If you don't do that, all of those dollars that you are spending, off of Amazon, every penny that you're spending off of Amazon to gain brand awareness is driving sales to your competitors who like and know your brand and are trying to beat you there. They're literally stealing from your brand awareness dollars that you're spending off of Amazon. So if you do nothing else in this Amazon game and you have any brand awareness at all, you must defend your brand. And the only way to defend your brand is to be on Amazon and I recommend, we recommend here at Avenue 7, you be the only seller on Amazon. So Jason, Amazon in particular has become a pay-to-play platform. I mean, you, you, you do any search on Amazon and the pages just dominate with sponsored brand ads and sponsored product ads and storefront ads and video ads. There are certain challenges with advertising, talking with some clients, and a lot of it, a lot of it comes down to mindset. What are the two or three aspects of advertising mindset that differentiates seven and eight figure sellers and brands versus those who are trying to eke it out? Basically? Yeah, this is a tough one for brands because they're given, you know, on average, 15% of every sale. They're likely paying for FBA fees, store, pick, pack, delivery fees, which I think are competitive uh, compared to sure. when you look at your own fulfillment house. But it's painful because that's a lot right there. That's at least 30% already. And then on top of that, the brand's like, wait a minute, Amazon, you're not even giving me traffic. I got to pay for traffic on your own website too. So I get it. It's frustrating, right? It is a pay to play platform. At the core two elements, in my opinion, that get that flywheel spinning and get that ranking algorithm growing so that you can then defy the laws of economics and you know, make more margin once you've arrived, if you will, in sort of the top seller rank is this idea of clicks and sales. The ranking algorithm that manages these 2 billion products 
is dependent on it. Is your listing in this search results getting more clicks and more sales than the rest of your colleagues selling in that same category? And so the the closest analogy or example that I know of that works for Amazon traffic and advertising is the DRTV business, which I learned from you know my friend and co-author Rick Cesari, which basically is I could simplify and say this. You know, if you spend if you run a test on a TV ad, if Rick ran a test on a TV ad and spent ten thousand, let's call it a hundred thousand. Let's say you spent a hundred thousand dollars and you got a million dollars in sales, that means your media efficiency radio ratio is 10%. So that means 10% of your revenue went to advertising. So a really smart DRTV person will be like, man, this is great. I spent a hundred grand. I got a million dollars in sales. Now I want to spend a million dollars in ads so I can get 10 million in sales. And it tends to scale like that, Shannon. There's the market is there where you can buy that ad space. That's the DRTV world. Now in our space in Amazon, they call that taco. So, you know, Amazon came up with this ad cost of sales and then total ad cost of sales, but it's really MER. Amazon didn't invent this. Um, you know, TK Metrics, none of these guys invented this. This has been around for a very long time, as long as everyone had a TV and products have been sold there. But that's what's required. You know, working with a client this morning, they're like, I don't want to spend more than X thousand dollars this month. Like, but you, you've already matched last month's sales revenue and we're growing and your ad spend <laughs> revenue is profitable. According to you, your margin is good. If we stop spending dollars today, we're going to lose out on the rest of the sales for the second half of the month. Forget about the ad dollar budget. Let us continue to spend so long as we stay within that MER or that tacos percentage so that you can continue to grow and continue to make that very nice margin at the end of the month. So it's hard for brands to get this. This business is a world of ratios and trends and percentage of revenue and P&Ls and balance sheets. And it's a lot of numbers and it's hard to comprehend. But I will tell you that this Amazon game is very much like the TV business. Figure out how much of a percentage of revenue you can spend to drive those clicks and sales to your product and the Amazon system will reward you for doing it. Yeah, there's a couple examples that obviously we anonymize everything, but where the the purchase time is a little longer than Amazon's attribution window, which is about seven days for sponsored products and 14 days for sponsored brands. It's literally, it's really just not big enough, right? To capture somebody who has to take some time to think about that purchase, or in some cases, budget for that purchase, or in some cases, go out, and smell uh, and sell a small organ in order to make that purchase, right? <laughs> Kidney here, yeah, well, you know, liver there. So, yeah, whatever it takes. But there was a, a specific case, and I know, you know, the, the experience was pretty frustrating for our team, is we did some really great, I think it was sponsored, uh, I think it was actually DSP ads and and, and sponsored display. And the, the ad spend in month one was pretty significant did not see a lot of a return on investment. Yeah. Month two, all of a sudden, they had this huge jump in sales. And what did the client decide to do? Turn Stop off spending. <laughs> Turned off that. Turn it off. Because they couldn't, they couldn't correlate the ad spend from last month to the sales this month because they were looking at sort of that very narrow focus of 
ACOS and, and ROI and ROAS and attribution. I, I'm just curious. I, I want to pull out that frustration a little bit because I think it reveals that large seller mindset that people need to have in order yeah. to be successful. Yeah. We're not telling our clients, we think you should do this because it's in our best interest. We're telling them, we think you should do this because it's actually in your best interest. We are trying to help you gain the profitable growth that you're looking for on the platform. And if you listen to us and continue doing the things that work, it will continue working. I think I know which product you're talking about. And the, the price point on this thing is is more than my first car, right? It's like 20, it's it's more than, it's nearly $3,000. It's not a mainstream product. It's a niche product. It's very valuable and great and does everything that it needs to do. It's a very cool product. But if I go out and do an impulse purchase on our family credit card for a product that costs this much without talking to my wife, my stuff's going to be out on the lawn the next day, Shannon. It's like, there's a longer path to purchase. And don't kid yourself. Your body would be buried in the backyard. Your that's stuff true. wouldn't even be out of the house. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't <laughs> but you, no one would ever find me. The under the house. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's a great point. The path to purchase for a $2,800 item is considerably longer, 60, 90 days, and we can capture it through the Amazon marketing cloud. We can capture that, but not through regular attribution models for sponsored ads or even regular DSP ads. Those models stop at seven to 14 days, depending on what the ad type is. And so the client was judging our ads team on the ad spin that was done on month one when we're like, hang in there, because months two is when the sales are going to happen. And what ultimately happened in month two? They did much more sales with zero ad spend because that first click attribution was going back, uh, you know, 30 to 60 days. Then <laughs> it was a monster month for them. And yeah. too bad they just couldn't have kept that flywheel spinning. But that is, it's hard to understand. If, if, you, if you run out of, uh, you know, you want to bake cookies tomorrow and you need... Amazon to deliver sugar by the next day. You're not thinking about that path to purchase. You're going to your phone, you're buying sugar, you're having to deliver the next day or cupcake covers or whatever it might be. My daughters are home and they've been baking me all this stuff, Shannon. So I'm using the baking <laughs> analogy right now. But that's the, that's the point. If you're going to buy something that's literally a family purchase that you need to get permission for or buy in from the rest of the folks, it's going to take you longer to make that path to purchase. So don't prejudge. And you've got to prime the pump. You've got to put your product out in front of folks who are considering buying a product like yours. And then you got to advertise. And that's the Amazon game. And that's the DRTV game, right? That's the game. Make people aware. Educate them on their product. Talk about the benefits that your product brings and then the great value that you can get it at. But wait, there's more, right? That's the DRTV game, right? And you get a set of steak knives if you buy now. That's the game. And it works really, really Run, well. Yeah. It works really, really well on the Amazon channel. That's really good. You know, you talk about this a lot in your book, but there's an element of taking all that great product feedback, you know, that Amazon customers give you and making improvements to your products. Yeah. And I remember having this conversation. In fact, I invited you to the follow-up call with this prospective client. They had been immersed in the wholesale model. And they said, well, it's great. We have this model. We develop our products. And we get the POs from the from from the vendors, and we make the purchase to the factory, and then we plan this all out. We we have our products shipped over the course of the year, and we make all this money, and it's great. 
And there was no concept of product iteration, none whatsoever. There was no aspect of the next time you order it, the next time you have a manufacturing run. What are some of the key differentiators of mindset when it comes to product advancement and product development? Yeah. So so first, don't let perfect be the enemy of good, right? You hear me say that a lot in our internal meeting, Shannon. Um, this this concept of all, customer, all the time. This concept of customer driven innovation, not just any customer like a buyer who's going to cut a big PO who may or may not have ever actually interacted with the product, but the end customer, not a false customer, the real customer that's going to give somebody the credit card and interact with that product. If you wow them, they're going to tell you about it. If you, if you're really unhappy. It's even better. They're going to tell you why they don't like the product. And if more customers- I hated it. Oh, I hated it. This is why. <laughs> and then if if a second customer or a fifth customer or a 12th customer says the same thing, guess what? You have just gained the knowledge needed to innovate your product to make it better the next time you reorder, right? I always tell that air hockey story. You know, I launched this air hockey table, thought everything was good, but had people start to say there was dead spots, right? No problem. Gathered that theme, took it back to the factory before I reordered. I said, factory, you're not getting another PO from me until we solve for this. I'm here for the next week. Let's solve for it. You know, Do we need to get a stronger motor? Do we need to drill better holes? Do we need to redesign the table? And the answer was a little bit of all of that. But then the next time that thing launched and went live, new and improved airflow, no more dead spots in the listing. And then the reviews went from three and a half stars to four and a half, five stars, right? That's the game. That's the game and the mindset required. It's not just for Amazon, but Amazon is one heck of a good place to do that because there's so many data points and feedback uh, loops that you can get from the end consumer that you just don't get from the Walmart buyer. The Walmart buyer is an important customer because they're involved with cutting that PO that's going to cut you that big check, but they're not going to help you make your product better. And ultimately... If that return rate on that PO is too high and you don't pay them enough markdown money and they don't extract enough of your flesh out of the next purchase order cycle, you're not going to get that order again. But if that return rate comes down and people are loving it and asking for more and the demand grows, you're going to get another PO. You You can get that information on Amazon. It's really, really hard to get that information with some of these other false customers, from some of these other false customers. You don't have to overcomplicate things. I mean, no. there was a great example. Somebody I talked to, we talked about today, I talked to yesterday, and the advice was literally introduce another color. Literally one other color is going to help you increase your sales, right? People think it needs to be this whole different product. It doesn't. Sometimes it's adding a different color. You know, for the for my product, Jason, and you know, I sort of was a little bit ignorant on this side of things. I just you know, the complexity of going and doing the work and everything else. People had been asking me in the buyer-seller messaging and and specifically on the seller comments, do you have this in a bigger size? And I just had to come back and say, no, I don't have it in a bigger size. But I got that feedback repeatedly and I, I didn't take the time until now. Guess what I'm doing? I'm building a bigger size. Why? Because people specifically told me they wanted it, paying customers, Somebody else, they actually wrote it in Spanish. They said, do you have this available in Spanish? I said, no, that's a great idea. I built it in Spanish, you know? Perfect. And, and it didn't take this insane amount of time and energy and investment, but your customers are telling you what they want. And those simple changes, the investment, 
to expand your product line, to build your product line, adapt your product line is so valuable. And if you don't do it, somebody else will. That's what happened to me. And that's why I had to jump back on the horse and go, okay, giddy up. Yeah, let's go ahead and get back on it. So it's very intuitive, Shannon. The customer is saying, hey, I want to give you more of my money if you do this, right? I want to give you more money if you do this. And all of the great brands have done that. You know, they've variated their product. I'm thinking about Rick's George Foreman grill, right? He launched that thing on DRTV. It was one product, then it was a bigger size, and then it was like a standing size, and they kept variating the same trusted, loved product to the point where not only was it selling online, but it ended up being in all the stores, right? And everyone looked down their nose. Oh, it's a DRTV. No, not a DRTV product. It's one of the best-selling consumer products of all time. And it started because Rick did the things that are necessary. You talk to that core customer group and you listen to them and you go back and you make a recommendation to the product team to tweak that product. And then you and then you launch it and you drive traffic and you sell it and you get it out there. And then you build on it and you variate it. That's the mindset. And the wrong mindset, Shannon, the wrong mindset for Amazon is, oh, I just read six of these reviews. They all said the same negative thing. These customers are stupid. They don't understand anything. Yeah. They're using the product in the wrong way. They haven't read the manual, right? This is this is bad. Yeah. This is nice. They're fault. This is them. These are dumb customers. Really? Because you're going to get beat by someone who knows how to do this game and innovates the product based on people taking time out of their very busy days to share with you how you can do it. You should say thank you every time you get a negative review, especially those ones that build up thematically. And, and, and incidentally, by the way, Shannon, I'm, I'm hearing rumors from Amazon and even I saw a news article over the weekend that Amazon's going to start aggregating these things. We, have, we used to have to do that manually. So they're going to start aggregating the themes and reviews. You don't have to read all 150 reviews. You'll get the themes. So cool stuff happening. AI tech at work, right? success here in this realm is so much more about mindset than resources. And I know there's some listeners thinking, but gosh, all that sounds expensive. And I can tell you right now, it is way more expensive not to do this stuff yeah, than it is to do it. It's way more expensive not to do defensive advertising. It is way more expensive not to expand your SKU pipeline. It's way more expensive, you know, and on and on and on. It's way more expensive you know, not to fire your distributor and take things D2C when you've got the brand awareness to do so. Yeah, and that last um, one, that last and that's how you have to think about it. That last one can cost you a lot of short-term money and pain. It's a it's a it's a difficult decision to make. You can transition that smoother so it's less painful. But you're right. Not doing this, not getting up to the speed with the 21st century digital brands, controlling the channel is another one on there. And being the owner of the controller of your brand and your product's destiny is um going to end badly. Yeah, agreed. No, we're, we're looking for long-term success. Um, I did a podcast recently with GS1, talked about three keys to building an enduring brand. And those are some of the staples. Uh, really great episode if you get a chance to go listen to it. Jason, as we wrap up, I want to talk about competition. Yeah. Right. We always ask new, new prospects. We say, who are your competitors? Well, they're always able to name the three or four known competitors. But that doesn't mean they're looking at all of their competitors and they're often not looking at, at things at, at, in context, right? Right. It's one thing to say, well, this is what my competitor is doing over here. Well, this competitor is doing that over there. Um, can you talk about how big sellers stay ahead of the competition even as that competition changes? 
you have to pay attention to the competition. You can do everything right with your brand and listen to what the consumers are saying about your product and optimize it and drive the right amount of traffic and you know drive margins success but if you're if you're not paying attention to the rivals um by either resting on your laurels or just not taking the time to look at what the rivals are doing uh it, it's also really a, a recipe for disaster now look I'm not trying to say go and do copy everything that the rivals are doing but you've got to be aware because what can happen is you can do all this hard work and you can get it going and you may be looking at your top competitors that maybe you're growing faster than them, but what you're not paying attention to is that 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 seller no one's ever heard of coming out of nowhere with rapid growth. That if you look at that growth rate and it continues for two years, before you know it, they're going to be on your doorstep. So by catching them when they're in the rapid growth phase early on, identifying what it is that they're doing, you may be able to co-op some of what they're doing into your product. At a minimum, you can be able to acknowledge and differentiate yourself before they get into the heavyweight ring with you, right? They may be a lightweight right now and building up weight and capabilities, but you want to be able to be prepared for them before it's too late. Rivals are a very important part of this game. They will keep you honest. They will keep you innovating. And you know sometimes they can come out of nowhere and eat your lunch if you're not paying attention. Yeah, I mean, and, and the year-over-year growth is is so critical because, again, if you're not looking at the whole category, people think, like you said, yay, I'm up 20%. You're like, yeah, but the category grew by 50% or 60%. You're down. You know, nobody said it was easy, Shannon. This is one of the world's most competitive marketplaces. You, you have got to do all the things, not just a thing, and you have to do them continuously and relentlessly. No, I agree. I mean, it's one of the things that I love about Dale Dabbs, our president, always says, you know, what we do for you on Amazon makes your entire business better, not just your brand, but your entire company. Amazon has tough metrics. Don't complain about the metrics. Work on making your brand so much better that not only you meet those metrics, but you exceed those metrics. Don't, you know, don't complain about your return rate. Figure out where your customers are having problems using your product and and make the process better the unboxing process, you know, the explanation of how to use it or just make your product simpler to use. I used to complain out loud and do the work to get the numbers down. You know, I felt better that way. It was more cathartic for me, Shannon, if I did them both. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you have to, you have to get it out and then you got to go do the work. That's right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, look, Shannon, any parting shots before we go? Anything else you want to add? I mean, I, I, I just think that you hit the nail on the head as we pulled this episode together. Before you can have any success, you got to get your mind right. You got to think about this and recognize Amazon is different. Sometimes it's ass backwards and we got to understand how it ticks in order to make your brand successful on that platform. And then that last piece, that transformational piece, if you can nail it on Amazon, the likelihood is that that brand can grow elsewhere as well. To be successful, you're going to have to forget everything you know about this channel. Forget everything you know, and we're going we're gonna to wipe the slate clean, and we're going to help you succeed on the Amazon. So I would just say the encouragement of this is challenging, it's hard, it's overwhelming. We've got a fully equipped team backed with technology and proven playbooks 
to help you to take off some of the overwhelming burden of all the things we just unpacked. It's excessively challenging, but you know, there, there's teams and people who are able to help you through this process. You don't have to do it alone. Yeah. This is our day job. This is what we do day in and day out. Make sense of the craziness that is the Amazon platform. So thank you, Shannon. I appreciate it. Folks, in the final analysis, Amazon isn't just another sales channel. It's a diverse, intensely competitive e-commerce ecosystem in its own right, where what you do on Amazon can make or break what you do off Amazon. It's table stakes for any product brand, no matter what the size, except if you're selling maybe cars and gas, because Amazon is where the shoppers go to find the broadest selection with the most convenience, and that thing is at their door in a day or two. If you apply your brick and retail mortar strategy, like Shannon is saying, to Amazon, you will fail. Amazon is big enough and important enough to demand a dedicated team or contract with experts like the team at Avenue 7 to help you win. If you're ready to start growing your brand on Amazon with an experienced team of Amazon operators to execute on the plan we just laid out, then reach out to us on day2podcast.com. That's day, the number two podcast.com. Also at avenue7media.com. And lastly, if you know of anyone else who would gain value from this podcast, please share it with them. Thanks for listening and happy selling.